This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I was on Special Report last night. I know you guys like a little behind-the-scenes color. And Brett Bear reading from viewer questions, was asked, what's your favorite Halloween candy? And he said, Reese's. Reese's Pieces. Um, So after the show was over, I said to him, you know, there was just a poll, and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups was named the number one Halloween candy. He says, oh, I didn't know about that poll. I don't go by the polls. And then I said, lightheartedly, Well, I'm a candy corn man myself. And the entire panel just erupted like, oh, boo, how can you say that? Oh, my God. And I said, it's addictive. In a sickening way. You know that. (laughs) So I got beat up for my devotion to candy corn. By the way, it was the New York Times that had a big piece on candy corn uh, yesterday for Halloween. Uh, I had mistakenly said another newspaper. You know, I haven't talked much about the World Series, which, by the way, is on Fox. So I just wasn't that attracted to the matchup. But I caught a good part of the game last night. Texas Rangers beating the Arizona Diamondbacks 11-7. to And the early part of the game, in just two innings, the Rangers exploded for five runs, including homers by Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager. It was just they got to the bullpen early and ended up being an 11-7 victory uh, for the Texas Rangers, the importance of which is that they are one game away, 3-1 lead, from winning the World Championship, winning the World Series. And Texas is one of the few franchises that has never won a World Series. So you can imagine the excitement unless they somehow manage to blow this lead. I am so excited about the final Beatles song that apparently is dropping today. I'll have a lot more to say on it after I've heard it. But I do got to just marvel for a second. You know, this is partially due to artificial intelligence the Beatles putting their imprint on a John Lennon cassette tape. It's called Now and Then, um, from obviously years ago. And here you have, you know, 60 years later, more than 60 years after this group formed. And it still has a huge following including a channel on Sirius XM. And here it is, 2023. And we will hear John, Paul, George, and Ringo 
together, air quotes, for the last time. And you guys all know I'm a Beatles fanatic, so I'll, I'll have more on that. Let me get to what may, I may even go long today because I have so much to get to. Story number one. Uh, update on the war. Egypt actually has now opened its border with Gaza to allow more than 80 seriously wounded people into Egypt to be treated, wounded Palestinians. The first such departure where anybody has gotten out of Gaza. Now, some of this was shown on Egyptian state TV. There were also other people moving through a gate at what's called the Rafa boarding crossing. And some Western diplomats in Cairo and Jerusalem said that some foreign passport holders and their families as well as Palestinian staff working for international aid organizations would be able to leave today. American citizens are not expected to be among them. Of course not. But, according to this story, they are slated to follow in batches later in the week. Uh, You know, these are Americans who just happened to be there and got caught in the middle of this horrible and brutal war. But I also got to talk about the Israeli strike on the Gaza Strip's largest refugee center. Now, first reports, everybody learned their lesson from the New York Times and others falsely attributing to Israel the explosion outside that hospital. So there was no, you know, Israel did this. But Israel very quickly owned up to it. And so then the headlines then changed. So you have many people killed there. And we don't know, you know, Hamas always inflates these numbers, but it's an absolute tragedy. Israel justified it by saying that the attack had killed a top Hamas commander, and several other terrorists. So this is what Hamas does. It embeds its military people with civilians who are being used as human shields. And how... What's the right word? Uh, Only despicable comes to mind. How despicable is it that they would embed themselves with a refugee camp Some of those people have been there for years. Others more newly arrived. And still, I have to question this. I think this hurts Israel in the court of public opinion. I think the Israelis knew that that would be true and felt it was justified anyway. Remember, this is still a country reeling from the horrific atrocities by Hamas taking of hostages, killing of women, children, families, babies. But that has faded from the news. 
I think it should be mentioned every day when reporting on this. So the Gaza Health Department says hundreds of wounded. I don't know if that's true or not. But even though, you know, there was a pretty aggressive Wolf Blitzer interview with an Israeli Defense Forces spokesman who just justified it, and this is the dangers of war. But the larger danger for Israel is losing public support in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, Israel also saying that the underground terror infrastructure, reading the tunnels, uh, collapsed after these airstrikes. So Blitzer said... Israel still went ahead and dropped a bomb there, attempting to kill Hamas, a Hamas commander, knowing that a lot of innocent civilians, men, women, and children, presumably would be killed. Is that what I'm hearing? That's not what you're hearing, Wolf, said the IDF man. Uh, We, again, were focused on this commander, again, uh, who you'll get more data on who this man was, killed many, many Israelis, and we're doing everything we can. But you know said Wolf Blitzer, there are a lot of refugees, a lot of innocent civilians, men, women, and children in that camp, right? This is the tragedy of war, Wolf. That was the quote. Meanwhile, I have a whole column, by the way, written from the heart about the spread of anti-Semitism. In America and around the world. And I'll come back to that. Another development on the war front, Senator Jackie Rosen, she's from Nevada, received threatening and anti-Semitic voicemail messages earlier this month over her vocal support for Israel. So you're not immune to this, and maybe you're especially vulnerable to this if you're a public figure, a member of Congress. Um, CNN's Phil Maddenly reported she's Jewish and has been quite vocal about the war in Israel since it began. And she received messages saying, quote, we're going to finish what Hitler started and you done chose evil. We're going to exterminate you. Now, a suspect is now charged with one count of threatening a federal official. Now, you have the ADL saying there has been, in just two weeks in October, a 388% increase in anti-Semitic attacks. And then you also had FBI Chief Chris Ray saying at a hearing yesterday that violence between Israel and Hamas has raised the potential for an attack against Americans to a whole other level. We assess that the actions of Hamas and its allies will serve as an inspiration, the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate several years ago. 
That includes not just homegrown violent extremists inspired by a foreign terrorist organization, but also domestic violent extremists targeting Jewish or Muslim communities. You know, when the FBI is saying it, in such strong language, it shows you why. And these incidents range from targeting synagogues, painting swastikas, actual violent civil assaults. Uh, one person at Cornell University uh, charged with threatening to slit the throats of Jews who had barricaded themselves in the college library. I mean, this is awful. It's depressing. It's unacceptable. And it's unthinkable. You say, you know, it couldn't happen here. Well, it is happening here and around the world. A Jewish synagogue attacked in Berlin, for example. Um, and so I'm glad there was an arrest in the Cornell case. Uh, you know, this is just spiraled out of control. I mean, you obviously have passionate feelings on both sides. You obviously have civilians being killed on both sides, slaughtered, desecrated, and mutilated, and taken hostage on the part of Hamas. The Israelis saying they're doing everything they can to avoid civilian casualties. They did basically warn repeatedly that those in the north of Gaza should go south and evacuate their homes. And even the south, it turns out, is not immune. And then you have this surge, uh, reminiscent of the worst period in German history, as the Wall Street Journal editorial points out. It is just so depressing to me. You know, like many Americans, I, I always knew that, the, you know, there were these incidents over the years. I mean, persecution of Jews goes back 5,000 years. But I never thought it would happen here to this extent. And among those, particularly on the left, who see Israel as evil, an occupying force. But whatever your views on the war, whatever your views on Israel, to cheer on the Hamas atrocities is beyond my ability to understand. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. All right, story two. Speaking of Israel, House Speaker Mike Johnson, I'm still getting used to saying that, by the way, faced an immediate backlash yesterday, this is the Washington Post, over his first key legislative decision trying to send emergency aid to Israel without inflaming his party's far-right conservatives over the budget. So Mitch McConnell, Republican leader in the Senate, 
and Susan Collins, chairwoman of a key committee, spoke out against this idea. It's not just Democrats. Called for including Ukraine aid in the legislative package. While the White House and congressional Democrats said cutting the IRS, this is about $14 billion from the Inflation Reduction Act, described by Biden, by Joe Biden, as an effort to crack down on tax cheats who make a lot of money. The White House and congressional Dems said cutting the IRS was a non-starter. Also, you know, Biden, President Biden now says he'll veto any bill that doesn't include not just military aid to Ukraine, but proposals for humanitarian assistance, funds to counter China, meaning help Taiwan defend itself, and increasing immigration enforcement at the border. This was supposed to be what you might call a grand bargain. So, you know, what the new speaker is doing is throwing in his lot with the, some of the hardline hardline conservatives in his party whom could block any other arrangement. But with President Biden threatening to veto the whole thing and bipartisan support in the Senate, I hope this is Mike Johnson's opening bid and then he will compromise because otherwise it delays or possibly kills much-needed aid for Israel, as well as much-needed aid for Ukraine. I know the war is a slog now, and the Ukrainians don't be seem to make much progress, or it goes back and forth between Russia and Ukraine, but this is a, a democracy, not a perfect one, but a democracy that was brutally invaded by the Russians, who deliberately targeted civilians, and took hostages, including children. And, you know, I think everybody's suffering from war fatigue there, but it doesn't mean, I mean, you know, Vladimir Putin cannot be allowed to conquer this independent country or another one will be next. And McConnell points out it's cheaper for America to let the brave Ukrainians risk their lives and in some cases obviously be wounded or killed than for U.S. troops to have to be involved. Here's the New York Times version. Senate Democrats and Republicans appeared to be in broad agreement yesterday about a need for swift approval of a major package of military aid from both Ukraine and Israel, setting up a potential clash with hard-right House Republicans who have expressed skepticism about continued assistance for Kyiv. But at this Appropriations Committee hearing yesterday, members of both parties were generally supportive of Biden's overall $105 billion request. This was a disconnect from the raucous conversation in the House where Speaker Mike Johnson has said he wants to split President Biden's request for assistance so that the chamber takes separate votes on each country. And, you know, when I was on special report, 
Byron York of the Washington Examiner made the point that these are two different wars and each one deserves a vote. And he believes that Ukraine, aid to Ukraine, will pass even in a separate vote. But I didn't have a chance to rebut him, but my argument was, look, we know the reason that Joe Biden put these two together along with other things like the border to increase his leverage, to attempt to combine the two, knowing full well that Ukraine aid is unpopular with some House Republicans, leverage to get the whole thing passed. That's why there's border security in there, as well as aiding Taiwan's defense, should it come to that. Mike Johnson isn't buying, but he's talked about bipartisan cooperation Talked about it several times. And so I think we'll really see what he's made of. And if he's willing to block the whole package for a substantial period of time or is willing to strike a compromise. Story three, the Trump trial today, the civil trial in Manhattan. Donald Trump Jr., is slated to testify today. Eric Trump will also be testifying. And the former president of the United States will also be testifying about his company, his own actions, and whether or not there was fraud involved, uh, inflated real estate estimates, and so on. Um, that could result in, that will result probably in some penalties for the Trump Organization because the judge has already ruled that fraud was involved, so it's not a jury trial. And at 2 o'clock in this morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, the former president said this on Truth Social. Letitia James, the New York AG, before Trump and developer-hating developer judge Arthur Ngoron, which had never been brought in that the so-called star witness sleazebag lawyer, for many people, Michael Cohen, admitted last week on the stand that he lied. Well, he lied in the past, yes, he, and he turned against Trump. And also that your favorite president, Donald Trump, or anyone from the Trump organization never told him to inflate values on financial statements. Well, that's not true. Cohen testified that he was told to do that, ordered to do that as Donald Trump's lawyer. Trump said the fake case should be dismissed, and then he wrote, Leave my children alone, Angoran. You are a disgrace to the legal profession. Uh, I'm kind of required to point out that Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump, and Eric Trump ran the company while their dad was president with Ivanka stepping aside while she worked for her dad in the White House. Now, this is something where, well, I actually think is politically unrealistic and dumb. 
President Trump, former President Trump, yesterday suing Michigan's top election official, seeking to ensure that he would be on the ballot for the 2024 election. Trump's lawyer said that Jocelyn Benson, Secretary of State there, had created uncertainty by failing to respond to communications from the Trump campaign about his ballot ballot eligibility. Now, what's this about? This is about an attempt in Michigan to keep Trump off the 2024 ballot based on the 14th Amendment, a section that disqualifies anybody who, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution after taking an oath to support it. Now, the Secretary of State previously declined to disqualify Trump, but then plaintiffs sued in Michigan State Court. Now, this is also happening in Colorado. Other cases are to follow. Some of the lawsuit has been filed in New Hampshire. Democratic legislators in California asked their state's AG to uh, look into this. Two quick things to say about this. One is, this would be a travesty. This really would convince half of America that there is a deep state out to get Donald Trump. Go beat him at the ballot box. Don't come up with legal technicalities to prevent him from being the GOP nominee. It's politically stupid, and it won't be accepted. And even people who hate Donald Trump, I think some of them are uneasy about this. Finally, it'll all end up in the Supreme Court, where, as you may have noticed, is a 6-3 conservative majority, three justices appointed by Donald Trump. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Story number four. National Review's Rich Lowry. The Republican reaction to the likely nominate, renomination of Joe Biden is in effect... We'll see and raise your unpopular incumbent, who looks as if he could tip over at any moment, with an unpopular former president who will likely be convicted of felonies next year. The Democratic reaction to the likely renomination of Donald Trump is, in effect, we'll see and raise your radioactive standing bearer with a president who is trailing him in the polls and who most people think can't serve another four years. Both parties think they're going to win anyway, But even if they're right, their chances of victory would go up appreciably if they nominated other people. A generic Democrat who is not festooned with Biden's failures and weaknesses and not in his or her 80s, says Lowry, would almost certainly be Trump handily, adding Kamala Harris does not meet the definition of such a Democrat. A generic Republican who hasn't spent years making him herself hateful to suburbanites who isn't wedded to ridiculous yarns about the 2020 election and who isn't in serious legal jeopardy in multiple jurisdictions would almost certainly be Biden handily. According to a latest USA Today poll, Trump leads Biden on who's best 
to handle the economy, foreign affairs, and the border, while surveys consistently find that about three-quarters have doubts about Biden's ability to serve another term. And yet the mandarins of the Democratic Party believe he's best suited to beating Trump. On the other hand, I think I've lost track of hands here. Despite his troubles, Biden has a higher favorable rating, 39% positive, 49% negative, than Trump, who's got 35% positive, 54% negative, according to a recent NBC poll. There's no doubt Trump could eke out a win against Biden the way he did against Hillary. But why settle for a narrow win against such a debilitated incumbent? Finally, with Trump, the GOP will be asking the middle of the electorate to conclude, we can't stand this guy, and there's nothing to make us change our minds about him, but things are so bad in this country, perhaps we should give him a try again anyway. Maybe that happens, says Rich, but it isn't the strongest grounds on which to contest an election. I can build a case either way, but the fact is, Donald Trump, facing four indictments and a civil trial, is competitive. And most recent polls show him beating Biden by a couple of points, statistically insignificant, basically a tie. But You know, Lowry's right. Both candidates have serious, serious liabilities. And for either the Democrats or the Republicans, a different, not to mention younger, nominee would probably have a much better shot at a significant victory. All right, I want to wrap things up with story number five. This is a Washington Post piece about young content creators and how um, influential they're becoming online. It's by, it's by Taylor Lorenz, who is very controversial. And in my view, you know, in this piece, she starts out trying to be fair, but she defends the mainstream media at all costs and doesn't seem to understand that much of the mainstream media is biased to the left. I don't think any serious person could contest that. I think she has blinders on this particular point. So let's dive in. She starts starts off talking about a young Palestinian-Jordanian entrepreneur, one of millions of independent creators, reshaping how people get their news, especially the youngest viewers. Um, she goes on to talk about TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. Um, according to the latest digital news report by the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism, one in five adults under 24 use TikTok as a source for news, up five percentage points from last year. Well, that's interesting. This shift is driven in part by a desire for, this is according to the report, quote, more accessible, informal, and entertaining news formats, often delivered by influencers rather than journalists, saying consumers are looking for news that feels more relevant. And Reuters Institute director says, there are no reasonable grounds for expecting that this will not continue. 
one positive impact, Taylor Lorenz writes, uh, is a more diverse media ecosystem where a wider array of voices can challenge narratives fashioned by the gatekeepers of traditional journalism. And that's absolutely true, and it's absolutely a fair sentence. But that also serves to undercut the authority of leg legacy news organizations, draining support from newsrooms that are a primary support, excuse me, a primary source of original reporting. So up to this point, I'm okay with the piece. And then she says, others are aggregators and partisan commentators, sometimes masquerading as journalists. So who does she like? Johnny Harris, a journalist whose YouTube channel has more than 4 million followers, covers global news, and conducts deep investigations into targets such as the Mormon Church and the Flat Earther Movement. He says, it's always uncomfortable for me to be in these rooms where there's so much doom and gloom about journalism, the business of journalism. This is a transformation to fit the technology and preferences of audiences. And guess what? Johnny Harris used to work for the liberal website Vox. So he gets kind of a glowing review. Still, some content creators don't follow the same ethical guidelines that are guideposts in more traditional newsrooms. Many online commentators with no stake in the outcome played to this crowd during the Johnny Depp uh, Amber Heard trial, where Amber Heard was consistently smeared, according to this piece. Okay, now we get to the right wing, or the purported right wing. Several social media platforms have emerged to serve conservative audiences. Rumble, BitChute, and Telegram give right-wing creators, uh, not exclusively, I would add, a place to monetize. Becoming magnets for accounts banned elsewhere, such as Alex Jones of Infowars, who was banned from YouTube and other mainstream platforms for violating hate speech policies. Okay. According to Pew Research, a majority of people regularly get news from alternative platforms, 66%, and identify as Republicans or lean toward the Republican Party, in contrast with news consumers on more established social media sites who identify as Democrats or lean Democratic. Now we get to it. Many news content creators on these platforms claim to be independent journalists, but are backed by powerful special interest groups and conservative political activists. Rumble, which is getting a lot of traction as a video site, is financed by tech venture capitalists Peter Thiel and J.D. Vance, an Ohio Republican now serving in the Senate. These creators tend to focus on polarizing topics guaranteed to generate outrage among their conservative followers and attract coverage by national news outlets feeding political divisions. Now, excuse me, but there are also left-wing content creators as well as mainstream media outlets that lean to the left, which Taylor Lorenz seems to have a blind spot on, who generate outrage age by focusing on polarizing topics. This is not unique or a monopoly by the right. 
and mainstream media do it too. Sometimes through clearly identified opinion columns, sometimes with bias just baked right in to what they write and what they say. And a fair piece would have acknowledged this, would have pointed this out. Instead, the liberal examples, guy from Vox, Palestinian journalist, they are praised. And Rumble, which hosts some very well-known journalists, such as Glenn Greenwald, Pulitzer Prize winner, lionized by the left when he was exposing intelligence agency and other U.S. government abuses, now attacked by the left because he doesn't go along with the MSM's conventional wisdom. So that's why I thought the piece started out fair and then very quickly tilted. And with that, see, we try to give you all sides here. I have lots of opinions, but I try to include on this podcast opinions of other people who um, challenge those who have contrary opinions, whether it's mainstream media or something I see on Substack or many other places. Thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for listening. I always appreciate your time. Back here tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. 